Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Simple. My name is Luis Sanchez. I'm the director of the Simple Church Collective and a host of the Keeping It Simple podcast. And I'm Scott Callantine, co-host of the podcast and resident of the Simple Church Collective. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Let's get started. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. Today, we have a voice that if you've been following along is familiar to you. Today, we get to interview Scott Callantine, co-host of uh, the show. Scott, say what's up to the people. What's up, people? It's good to be with you. All right. And today, even though like Scott's been with us all along, some of you guys may have just jumped on this journey uh, here in the last couple of months or weeks, or maybe this is even your first time listening. Scott has been on this journey of you know uh, learning uh, what micro expressions are all about. He's been traveling uh, the last couple of years to experience and to see and to learn from other people in this space. So today we want to break that down, what that journey has been like for him uh, to come from a prevailing model, which is the language that we use around here for Sunday morning kind of gatherings, which is what he grew up in when I grew up in, into now, um, you know, giving uh, his time to establishing uh, micro-expressions right here in the greater Seattle area. So, Scott, welcome to the show again. Uh, And for our listeners who uh, may not know you or for folks, again, who may be new to the podcast, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and how you ended up in the Seattle area with the collective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will try to be quicker on the backstory end so we can focus more on the now and such, but uh, grew up in Salem, Oregon, about four or five, sometimes six hours south, depending on that lovely Seattle and Tacoma traffic. Um, and so I came up here Shout out to Fife. <laughs> I came up to the greater Seattle area, uh, the north part, uh, actually to Arlington, Washington, in 2019. I was in uh, a Bible college um, called Reach Training Institute. Shout out if you want to go there, graduate debt free, field ready. Let's go. Um, email me, I'll hook you up. And um, I came up here for an internship in the fall of 2019 with a local Alliance church. Um, And through COVID and a variety of different things, I got connected with Luis and just kind of dipped my toe into the world of church planting. Um, And through the pandemic and such, began to invest more and more into a decentralized form of the church and kind of move from what I knew into something that I didn't know and this unknown. And so um, during 2020, I came, or in 2019, I came up here. And then 2020, I went and spent a little time with in Oregon during COVID and came back up here. That's where I ended up meeting my now wife um, in Arlington. Shout out to Selena. And... We've been kind of, since then, moving progressively towards the the micro expression of the church and currently live it in Everett, so that's kind of the North Seattle side of things, and we really love it. We love Everett. Uh, we feel Jesus has placed us here in Everett. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're living it out here, and mm-hmm. as Genesis 12 says, we're blessed to be a blessing. We're trying to live that out in Everett. Love it. Blessed to be a blessing. Um, you talked a little bit about this. Uh, dipping your toe in the water with the micro expressions, man. Why micro and why now? Yeah, we have an episode on this exact idea, which I think we elaborate well. Um, check the end of season two for that. But the micro, um, I think it's the way of the future. If I'm being honest, 
Um, as and, you said, and, and the way of the past. Well, yeah, go back to the book of Acts for that one. Um, but as you said, I grew up in what we call the prevailing model, mm-hmm. um, the very Sunday centric, very programmatic, and that's where I experienced uh, the gospel and Jesus and discipleship. Um, and all the Christian terms is where I really began to dip my toe in the water there. Funny thing is when you get into Bible college, you realize how little you actually do know. <laughs> mm. But so like, that's what I knew and grew up with. And then I just felt like it wasn't working when I was beginning to practice it. And I was kind of beating my head on the wall of like, okay, well, what, what isn't working? Why isn't it working? And if you talk to a variety of different Christians, you'll get some kind of, probably some kind of critique of like, our discipleship is broken or we're not actually discipling people. They're consumers. And, but what are you doing to disciple people then differently? And so to me, the answer to what are you going to do differently was pursuing micro. Not that the macro or the prevailing model is inherently bad or evil or anything like that. That's where I came to faith and I will always cherish it. Right. And it does a lot of really good things. Yep. It promotes the version Bible app, by the way. Like, that's something the prevailing model does. And so there's no bad blood there. But for me, micro is what I see for the future. And it's how I see, and in my experience, and beginning to see non-believers connect with Jesus. Because in my experience of being in the prevailing model, it was very much Christian church for Christians and not really anything that was mission-oriented or towards lost people. Yeah, there's Great Commission services or there's the occasional missionary that would come in. And, you know, like there are moments and periods where the lost people are the priority. But by and large, it was centered on people who already followed Jesus. And that's not bad. There's a space for that. I think there needs to be a continual discipleship of those who already know and love Jesus. But for me, the micro widen that scope and place an emphasis on relationship with people. Not just trying to prepare like a sermon that you hope people will come listen to and be transformed by, but rather through the relationship with people, they actually begin to see Jesus in your life and you begin to then talk about Jesus. And so there's like this very heavy relational aspect that comes through micro church stuff that I wasn't seeing seeing very much in the prevailing model. And I especially wasn't seeing it amongst the lost people in the prevailing model. And so that's why. I am personally pursuing micro. That's why I would encourage everyone to pursue micro. And if you look forward, and you can check out all kinds of stats, check out Barna, check out other resources. Church attendance has been on the decline for quite some time, and COVID only accelerated that. And so if you look forward, a lot of churches are going to be closing their doors, or churches we know it will be closing their doors. And so how is the church going to really survive, and not only survive, but thrive? is I think through smaller intimate gatherings, gathering people in homes, gathering people in community spaces and in groups of 10, 20, 30, and beginning to disciple people in the very, very organic, natural, basic things of life. And then from there, that, be- that can multiply. And so, you know, a church that was maybe 200 people, 300 people um, could be divided and, and separated into smaller groups that could get to 1,000 people much quicker than they would have ever gotten to and so i think there's way more reach that can happen through the micro church so i think i know the answer to this question scott so are you saying uh we're swapping one model for the other uh not entirely but kind of (laughs) 
in a sense that we're not putting all the emphasis on everything that the prevailing model emphasizes. We still do have gatherings that happen on Sundays. We still do equipping gatherings, whereas the the prevailing model, their Sunday service is probably going to be geared towards either like a seeker sensitive kind of service, or they're going to like walk through scripture or tackle various topics where our goal of our Sunday gatherings, when we have equipping gatherings is to equip the believer to go live on mission. And that's not the purpose of every Sunday service that exists in the church. So I'd say like, we're not necessarily swapping out everything, but we are swapping out some things and we're, we're putting emphasis on some other things. When, when we think about it, I think locally too, I think, um, it really is about our focus, right? Like, and, and, and uh, I would, I would, I'd say this, like, as far as like why micro and like what we're doing, like know your context. And I think in our context specifically, you can put the Pacific Northwest, but then you can less like go zoom in further to Seattle area. It's the most unchurched area in the United States. Like look it up. Everything says that. So how are people here going to encounter Jesus? And I don't think it's through the established traditional prevailing model. We are not anti-prevailing model. Not at all. We do subscribe at the Simple Church Collective to uh, the idea that there's all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. Absolutely. Right? And some people may never cross the threshold of someone's home and call it church. But the people that we're seeing may not cross the threshold of a church. Building. And... Yeah, building and and make that a habit, right? Yeah. Um, so what we're saying is that there's all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. And even recently, I've begun to figure you know this this own thing out on myself. I know that the interview is about you, Scott, but I've been thinking about don't steal my this thunder idea of of uh, tables and temples. Mm-hmm. Um, first century, right? Like they gathered together to break bread and they went to the temple. Obviously the first century temple was yeah. a lot different than Definitely what we would call, yeah. you know, quote unquote church or the church building. Mm-hmm. But there's this idea of a bigger gathering and then smaller gatherings that are happening and that serve different functions. And we've talked about proxemic and all that yep. uh, here, but there's that idea. So, Going back to this idea of um, micro, what's been the highlight um, for you uh, of serving in this model? You know, I think one of the best parts of trying to do micro stuff, and I don't say that as anyone who's done it perfectly, like by and large, I think I've made a lot of mistakes already, um, but I am a practitioner. I am trying to do things. And so the highlight for me is people and it's the relationship with people that i wouldn't necessarily i probably wouldn't be in relationship with if i weren't pursuing micro church stuff for example i go to the ymca uh, at least three days a week if not four or five in three of those days i consistently go to the same classes at the same time every single week and so a portion of that is, yeah, like there's a structure and rhythm to that, and it's good, and there's physical health, mental health, all of those things. I go to the same classes reoccurringly, so I engage with the same people reoccurringly. I'll see them over and over and over again, 
and what starts as hello, what starts as like introducing yourself and just getting their name and it becomes more intentional. There's more depth. You see them week after week. You begin to have meaningful conversations and then you begin to go out with them. The amount of people that I've just, I, we love to do this thing where we go to the gym on Mondays and then after we work out, we go get Mexican food. We call it Mexican Mondays. And so we take people out to a local Mexican place that we love to eat at. Now, we don't do it every Monday because that can get expensive and it's not always the healthiest food, but it's fun. And we get to go eat with people who, would never come into a Sunday service, a traditional Sunday service, and they're not yet ready to come to our house, but they're ready to go get food after class. And so you begin to build this relational equity with people by just showing up in their life in the simplest ways. Like so many people want to work out, want to be healthy, want to go to the gym. So that's the way I've found that works for my life to go meet other people, to interact with them. For you listening, it might be a completely separate thing that interacts you with people in your community, whatever hobbies you have, whatever passions you have. But for me, that has been a huge highlight is to meet people relationally through organic ways of just going about my life and seeing where Jesus has placed me into my community. I would also say on the flip side of that, that can be a challenge because I think we've been blessed with a lot of receptivity so far. People are receptive to what we're doing, but not everyone has been, right? And you have to be able to willing to handle the potential defeats or blows when someone isn't receptive to your invitation or, you know, the classic, like, yeah, 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 we'd love to hang out. And like after like the third or fourth time you like pursue somebody, it's like, yeah, they want no part of what we're doing. And like, that's not the funnest thing, but it's okay. You're not going to be the one who plants the seed right now. Cool. That's okay. You know, so I would say people in the relationship we've built are the best part, but they're also the hardest part too. And then once you make the connections, you got to maintain the connection. Like that takes time and energy and investment and you only can do so much in one week. And so, yeah, that's the best and probably some most challenging. I think you answered the question about the challenge too. So um, I'm, I'm glad that you said that. Hey, people are the highlight and people are the challenge. You know, it's like we talk about starting simple because the moment that you add people into the mix, it brings and adds complexity. So what's your, right right now, you and Selena are trying to get, um, you're trying to get two simple churches off the ground. She's helping you to get one of these off the yep. ground, even though she's a support for that other one. Um, tell me and tell us what has uh, being your biggest takeaway so far in trying to get these simple churches off the ground? Yeah. Like I said, people can be the best part and the, the most challenging part. The thing we're trying to do, um, I'll focus mainly on one of them. One is a, a men's related group that I'm leading. We meet weekly and it's really good. It's smaller. But the other one is a larger, more community focused, neighborhood focused, YMCA, really Everett, our city that we love. And so the, one of the challenges or one of the things we've encountered about that specifically is that people have to make it a value and a priority. So like, although we cast a net of like 25, 30 people every time we gather, it's probably like five or six that came last time. And then there's a new five or six. And then there's a bunch that, weren't able to make it. 
right? And like, so it's not this glamorous, awesome thing every single time we gather. And it, like, we're not going to be on a magazine about simple churches or anything like that. But it's the realness of people. And sometimes they're out of town and you got to take that blow. They're not there or they have something come up and they can't make it. And that's okay. Although maybe frustrating or a blow to your ego potentially, or just unfortunate, you got to move on. And so what we're learning is casting a wide net and expecting not very many to make it. So the larger you cast the net, the more likelihood people you know, will come and join what we're doing. And then you just got to continue to meet, continue to meet, and people will come. Like if you cultivate the space and you're intentional to seek out people and you invite them to things, people actually want to come to stuff, right? It just has to become a value of theirs too. And so that's probably the space that we're in is cultivating a value of our gatherings to people so that they come more than once, more than twice, more than three times, but like reoccurringly come um, and not like once here in January and then once in June, but like, hey, you've, you've come to our gatherings many a times in a very um, cohesive manner and you've begun to integrate yourself into our community. And once you're a part of our community, then you trust us and we trust you. And there's a mutual love that begins to develop amongst the people who are there. And I think at that point, there's a corner that gets turned. Um, and we're, we're not at that corner with this specific community yet. Somebody said that there's this idea where, where something becomes a value um, is when uh, people adopt change. Somebody said change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. I'm going to say that one more time. Change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And so when we, uh, you know, it sounds like you guys are doing this, are just consistent and show up and, you know, present the gospel spoken and unspoken ways and spoken and unspoken ways. Um, and then people are confronted with the fact that God loves them, that God is there for them, and that God, you know, has the best intentions for their lives and that he calls them to more. Right. And then they see, I had a mentor back in the day who would say, like, how's that working for you? You know, however you're doing your life on your own without God, be like, well, well, how's that working for you? You know, when mm. people finally get to the place of like, well, how's that working for you? You know? Mm. Um, and then are confronted with this invitation of change, you know, when they can no longer continue to live their life, then, that adoption of that value begins to happen and that begins to turn their corner. And also when relationship, um, you know, when, when folks become safe over time, you know, and they, and they uh, begin to receive and believe that the gospel that you're saying and talking about is actually true for them and theirs. So appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Um, one of the things that you're doing, Scott, is bivocational living. We've we've spoken extensively on that. Mm -hmm. How's that going for you these days? How's bivocational stuff have you know, what are you doing? And and then how's that going for you? Yeah, anyone that wants to be bivocational or co-vocational, um be prepared that there are gonna be ebbs and flows to it. Some weeks are a little harder and a little heavier than others, but Say by and, by and large, it's not easy work. Life would be simpler and cleaner 
have a clean cut 40 hour a week job. Um, and like, I don't have kids in my life either. I know once that happens, that creates a whole nother layer of things. Being bivocational is a lot messier than if you just had a, a one job, you know? Um, so just comparatively saying if you were a youth pastor at a church, not saying your job isn't hard as a youth pastor, um, but it's different than co-vocational ministry where you have a clean, maybe start and end. And there's these that clean lines often when you, or, you know, maybe you're not even in ministry and you're, um, working in another job and you're, you work at an Amazon or whatever. There's often clean cut lines to when work is done, when work starts, when you're co-vocational, those lines are often blurred. Um, like, for me, I work in the public school district. And so for a good chunk of my daytime, I'm unavailable to do simple church-related things. And so a lot of my things get pushed to the evenings, which works well with a lot of relational things because most people, like that is a, a big relational time period. And so that works with a lot of relational aspects of stuff. But like sometimes other things, unfortunately, uh, you got to record a podcast at 9 p.m. at night, you know? And like that just is a part of it. So just being bivocational is it's char- it's hard, it's challenging. Your schedule's more full. But I would say like on the plus side of being bivocational or co-vocational, um, I think I say co because bi bi is like just two jobs. Co-vocational, more than one job. You can have your hands in many different uh, places, different buckets. So when you're co-vocational, what the cool thing is about it is it places you amongst the lost people if you're doing it right like if you have a remote job <laughs> and you're working from a home and you're not interacting with people like yeah you're co-vocational but i would maybe suggest a job change but part of being co-vocational and also doing micro things is that co-vocational job needs to put you in the sphere of people and so i get to interact with people monday through friday for 30 plus hours of my week sometimes. And some of it's really good. Some of it's really challenging. I'm not going to lie, but it puts you in the mission field that Jesus has placed you. And that's where things really truly need to begin. And so your co-vocational life and the micro ministry life really needs to be in, uh, be in sync, needs to be cohesive. Thanks for sharing that, man. That was real. Um, one of the things that I thought about while you were sharing is if you're the type of person that needs a title in order to, you know, feel like you're in ministry, then uh, this is probably not going to work out for you. Right. Like um, being in the microspace, you know, like people can care less what you are and more and more in the church. People can care less, you know, what labels are and pastors are yeah, like, yeah. like, like, they want to know Scott. They want to know Luis. You know, the only time once a year I get called Reverend is when I get my license in the mail, renewing it every single year. Yeah, that's the one time. Like, you don't really get the titles and all the things that come yeah. with it. And like, that's and okay. if you need that, and if you need that as a part of your identity, right? And if you have that, like, hey, my role, my title is a part of my identity. Um, that might be something that you need to kind of think through and process. Um, I know that I have, I think everybody that's gone to Bible college at some point, you know, 
I would say most everybody, you know, has has kind of had to wrestle with that because you did go to school for this, or you did go to and yeah, for and sure. I'm and and I'm not saying that everybody who listens to the pot this podcast that's their experience, um, but switching from the prevailing models, not everybody will be switching. Some of you guys are starting here, and some of your second generation, third generation, fourth generation people, they will not know the prevailing model, right? But mm-hmm. for those of us who have transitioned. From prevailing model got prevailing model type training um we had to wrestle through some of our identity stuff and i and i always go back to what henry Nowen said right you are not what you have you are not what you do you are not what other people say about you you are the beloved so i am not what i have whether it's much or little i am not what i do whether people call me pastor whether i'm a pastor whether i officially on staff somewhere right yeah um and I am not what other people say about me, right? You know, what the rumor mill says, what the internet says, I am the beloved. And that's our my primary identity is that I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. And there's nothing that anyone can do that do mm-hmm. about that. Not even me. Right? Like he loves me just as I am and not as I should be. Yeah. And so I think that's an important one because bivocational living, some days you may spend more time, like you're even saying that now, right? Because here even at the collective, we've said, Hey, got 10 to 12 hours a week there's something we want so you're spending 30 hours sometimes outside which is sometimes could be three times as much right as yeah, as, some as what we've asked for you to do here and so it's like hey is my identity in in this or is my identity in this and it, the answer is no right the answer mm-hmm. should be my identity is in christ right um because you're not what you do you're not what you have you're not what other people say about you you are primarily the beloved and so yeah, man, bivocational, and it's not going anywhere, right? Like you're no, no, no. you're wrapping up your residency here in the next couple of months, and bivocational is on, you know, like horizon still, right? Yeah, like, I remember not- um, we had a conference we went to in last fall, and so which would have been the fall of uh, 2022. I was talking with a friend of mine who lives in uh, New York or Brooklyn, and she was just talking about how you really can't pastor there or at least church plant there without being bivocational being co-vocational it's like there's just no way around it like people don't take you seriously like you have to be working amongst the people to be given just an ounce of credibility amongst people and so like maybe not every place is that going to be like the way that things have to be to to do church life but like in a lot of ways i think at least on the coastlines in a lot of bigger cities like Co-vocational is going to be the way forward. And and if you want to be among lost people, I think you touched on yeah. that, right? Uh, research shows that the longer you're in church, uh, the less likely you are to have non-believing friends. And think about it. It makes sense. Yeah, I can attest to that. Right? Um, if you are, are, when you first get saved, right? If you're a first generation Christian, you realize um, that, hey man, I have a lot of unsaved friends still. And you know who's the number one uh, type of person that brings new people into a church and church setting, people who recently got saved, right? Yeah. Because they still know a lot of unsaved people, right? But think about it. As you continue to grow in your Christian faith, this is the normal trajectory. And you, uh, you know, continue to grow in the things of the Lord. Uh, you spend end up spending more time with Christian folk which is not bad in and of itself, but a lot of times being within the four walls of the church causes us 
to lose touch with the people that we're really called to be on mission with. And so Kelvin Walker, uh, old mentor of mine from Nyack, shout out Kelvin in, uh, uh, in the Metro District, said Rock Dilliman, the pastor that he was working for at um, Allegheny Alliance Church back in Pittsburgh, uh, Kelvin was the worship pastor there, and 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 Rock said confronted Kelvin, and he said, "Kelvin, man, you spend a lot of time at the church." Um, he's like, "How many you know unsaved friends do you have?" He says, "Not very many." And uh, Rock challenged him, and he said, "Hey, Kelvin, um, you ought to find a job outside of the church." Here's like the worship leader was there all the time, you know, on staff fully one of the best to ever do it out here. And um, he found a job at a jeweler and little, you know, did you know that little by little, he started amassing friendships with people outside of the church. And he started to get a sense that he was once again on mission. And so uh, Kelvin was actually the one who encouraged me years ago to like always, and I, and he never like pulled me to a side and he said, Hey, Luis do this. But just that story you know, stuck out to me when he told it. And, and, uh, and ever since I've always kept, uh, a non-Christian job or volunteered in some, in some cases when I, when I first moved out here, um, I always volunteered at least a few hours. I, when I lived on Whidbey, I volunteered at the Langley Whale Center. Um, just because that was the only way to stay in touch for me, uh, with unbelieving people. And so mm. kudos. I think that that's a big one for people by vocational living isn't going anywhere. If you're really interested in the micro space, this is uh, something that is here to stay. Uh, so, yeah. So Scott, as we begin to land the plane, man, I know you're a reader. Uh, you love to read. Um, tell me, yep. are there any like titles on micro space stuff that you've read? Um, that you would recommend to the people? Um, book recommendation wise, uh, we did an interview on it. Starfish in the spirit is a go-to. Um, really it's for micro, but it's also for just church life in general. And I think it really would help form a, form a lot of things for people. That'd be my go-to micro space church book. Micro Churches is another good one by Brian Sanders. We've talked about that a bit. If you're looking more towards more spiritual formation that is not necessarily explicit to Micro Church, of course, Emotional Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, phenomenal book. Uh, the Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velotis, also a great book, kind of more of a little bit. Um, EHS was written probably like 15 or so years ago, maybe a little bit more, and Rich wrote kind of like an updated ehs 2.0 yeah a little more street a little more modern um really really well done another one i would recommend ruthless elimination of hurry um i think if you want to maybe structure your life in a healthy way that is a really good book i'd also say as you're in co-vocational living and in the microspace you do have to structure your life in a healthy way if you want to be sustainable and that's a lesson i've learned even to this point like how I structure myself, the values that I have, the things I have to say yes to and things I have to say no to. And so that book in and of itself has kind of helped form me how I think a little bit um, of Sabbath, of simplicity, simple living, living on the margins, um, living. Uh, one of the things I think John Mark said in that book was um, something to the effect of how Jesus did his prepared for ministry for 30 years. 
and it was the three years that you know we focus on obviously for a lot of reasons but it was the three year the 30 years living in obscurity and as christians we often um, especially those who have been trained or raised up with the prevailing model are not very good at living in obscurity and so that book really opened my eyes to just simplicity and living obscurity those are all really really good books I probably have like 50 on my shelf that I would recommend to people. Um, if you're not wanting to get into that kind of discipleship-esque stuff, there's a couple others. Um, the Next Evangelicalism by Sung Chun Ra. I think I said that right. It's a little bit older. It's like 20, 2009, 2010. But I read that in school. Phenomenal book. Reading While Black is a good one by Esau Macaulay. Uh, Esau Macaulay is a really awesome professor at Wheaton College. Um, I give some of his stuff a listen to. And if you're looking for more fiction, I've just started reading the series called The Way of Kings, a Stormlight Archive series. So I'm on the second book of that one. And it's fun to just jump into a fantasy series now and again too. So those would be some book recommendations. And of course, read your Bible. Read the Bible. Told you that man knew about books. So uh, if you have any questions, hit him up. Uh, Scott. Lastly, if um, you had a person who's considering uh, jumping into microchurch stuff, what's one thing that you would say to them? First of all, if you're considering that, I would speak to someone who's doing it. Um, feel free to contact me, Luis, whoever. Really try and reach out and get insight from them. But my biggest encouragement would be do it would be to to go where Jesus is calling you. And if that is a different job, whether you're maybe you're a full-time pastor in ministry and feel like there's a pull to become co-vocational and you need to take that really difficult step of stepping back from the prevailing model and increasing um, your time elsewhere, do it. If you are on mission or trying to be on mission and you're you're a school teacher and you're trying to jump into this thing and like that can be really difficult and hard um, maybe that's not the job for you or maybe you have to get creative with how you spend your summers and how you invest your time after school when you have grading and all this stuff whatever job you might find yourself in i would say identify where jesus has called you and then take steps to move towards that if you're not already living in that because ultimately, whether Jesus calls you into the microspace or the prevailing model space or some kind of hybrid or something else that is different, um, if you're pursuing the calling that Jesus has placed on you, then you're doing the right thing. Like Ultimately, Jesus is Lord, and where he is leading you is far more important than anything else. Like We, we submit to Jesus as Lord, and where he takes us, we go. And so in some seasons of your life, that might be really clear. In other seasons, it might be more maybe a preparation season for something different. And so identify your calling, where you're supposed to be, and then take the steps to go there. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being with us today again. If you guys would love to get in touch with Scott or myself, make sure you follow the instructions on the description. Once again, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Keeping It Simple. Peace. See you later. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to support us more, 
check out our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash keeping it simple podcast. If not, we'd love your support through subscribing, sharing episodes, and liking and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come.